welcome to the Solutionist Show on All About Animals Radio, where we expose issues in animal welfare and bring to you the Solutionists. I'm your host, Billy Broom, and today we have as my guest, Donnie Moss of Veriturn. And you may have heard uh, the episode that we did together on effective animal advocacy, which is also on All About Animals Radio. We talked about the campaign to end abuse and threat to kangaroos uh, by Nike, who were using kangaroo scoot, uh, skins for their shoes. Um, and since that episode, they have now agreed to stop doing this. So that's that's a big win. And Donnie was a big part of that. So today on, on The Solutionist Show, we tend to focus more on uh, direct issues and solutionists for those issues. Largely domestic animals, but not exclusively. And today, Donnie and I are talking about a rather bizarre situation in a shelter in New York and his uh, creative campaigns to address this situation. So welcome, Donnie. So nice to see you again. Thanks for having me back. Yay. So this is... uh, kind of a bizarre situation in a sense. Do you want to tell us a little bit what's going on and how uh, their turn is involved? Sure. So there's a a large and wealthy and prominent animal shelter in Manhattan, in a Tony area of Manhattan that takes in millions of dollars a year in donations. And uh, in 2021, mid-2021, a whistleblower came forward and alleged that adoptions had come to a virtual standstill at this large shelter, and that the shelter was closed to the public under false pretenses. Adopters weren't allowed into the building. And so I wasn't shocked to hear this because a couple of months before, I myself had contacted the shelter about adopting a dog because my previous dog, who I adopted from the shelter, had passed away. And when I contacted them, they kind of gave me the runaround and suggested I look elsewhere. And I thought, that's so strange. I was, a, I'm a good adopter. I could provide an animal with a good home. I, I paid my adoption fee. Why would they be sending me elsewhere? And I kind of just forgot about it. And then this whistleblower came forward and I thought, oh, so this is a real thing. And I decided to investigate the allegations as a grassroots animal rights organizer in mm-hmm. New York City. I decided to investigate these allegations before doing anything publicly. And I had nine people submit adoption applications and not one heard back. So that was one very big red flag. Another red flag is that they do hardly any adoption promotion and list just a fraction of the animals online uh, uh, compared to how many they have in the shelter. So if you've got a large animal shelter that's closed to the public and they only post a small fraction of the numbers online, then how would people even know that these animals exist? How would anyone know, even know to a, submit op- adoption applications for them? So were there all of these red flags? And I finally called the executive director uh, who I had met over the years and, um, and something that she said in that call really threw me for a loop, which was that I said, said you know, her name is Sandra DeFeo. I said, Sandra, you know, the shelter is closed to the public, adopters can't get into the building. There's really no way for them to meet the cats, especially who they can't bring out into the street. Why not just send all of the animals to foster homes where they could at least live outside of a cage and be with a family and where people can come and see them? And her response was, the shelter is their foster home and their cages oh are goodness. like a 
and their cages are like apartments and my heart sank. And over the ensuing months, when I was starting to make more noise and corral the local animal rights act activists to sort of speak out on behalf of all of the animals who were languishing in cages inside, um, I realized that this, the executive director of the shelter has always had this, taken this point of view that the animals are fine in their cages and, and the shelter is home, but there were guardrails in place before 2000. 20 before they close their doors to the public. And by the way, their doors aren't even open yet. And it's 2023. And those guardrails were that the building was open so people could come in and meet the animals, you know, fill out an application and then come on up to the adoption floor and meet the animals. They had a full-time adoption director who ensured that animals were being sent home and going to the right homes. They had a board president who worked at the shelter as a volunteer four days a week. And so the executive director had some direct supervision and you had a more active board of directors. The board, several of the board members have resigned amid this scandal and those who remain are elderly and largely just uninvolved. So when all of these guardrails came down, you're left with an executive director who thinks that the cages are apartments and that's okay. what we're facing now. Okay. <laughs> That's that the background. is, I, I cannot think of any other word except bizarre. So what I want to do is just backtrack a bit here and break this down because yeah. me being, um, I guess, animal welfare and entrepreneur and innovator, and, and there's so many different organizations. And the first thing that always comes to, into my mind is why? What is the reason why? What is the benefit to that person? I'm always sort of the, I guess, the devil's advocate, one might say, or what how does that benefit them? So the one thing that came into my mind is uh, this this woman, Sandra, it is? Sandra DeFeo, the executive DeFeo. director. Right. So we have, what, what would be that benefit? You did go on to explain a little, which kind of makes it sound like she, maybe the benefit is that she is sort of the, uh, the, the king of the castle, so to speak, um, with nobody overseeing her. However, it just seems bizarre. Now, now, I, of course, money is always a big one. Like you mentioned, right off the get-go, they're in an influential area and they do generate uh, a lot of funds. In my mind, I would think that by taking these steps, they're going to decrease their funding simply because adopters tend to continue to fund or promote and all, hey, we adopted from there and then they might become volunteers or they might become fosters or they might, and then this, it just generates itself. So it's commonly a good thing. Uh, secondly, it, it, like you said, when the, when the animals are out in the public, it generates funds and generates everything like that. So uh, it, it's, I, I know that they are partly using COVID as a reason. And then there's also um, construction going on. And you can see in the pictures that there's a lot of like large construction, big construction with equipment and et cetera, et cetera. They seem to be using these as excuses to, as barriers to having people come in, but I'm still not really seeing why, why they would do this what's the benefit i'm this is where the block is for me do yeah. you have some thoughts on that absolutely you know i've been working on this campaign now for i don't know almost two years 
And so I have answers to any, any difficult question you throw my way, I can handle it. So a few things. First of all, the donations, large donations come mostly from estates. And there are a lot of people who have bequeathed parts of their estates to the, including entire brownstones to the Humane Society of New York. And so it would take years of us educating the public before it would really reach the people who are leaving chunks of their estate to the Humane Society of New York. So the point is the money is going to come in regardless of whether or not they're facilitating adoptions. The adoption fees that other shelters rely upon as a source of income comprise just a tiny fraction of the revenues brought in by the Humane Society of New York. They get revenues not only from donations, they take in a few million a year in donations, but they also run a low-cost vet clinic, an important resource to New Yorkers, no doubt. And they take in a few million dollars a year in revenues from there. They don't need And that's still fees. functioning? Yes. No one is allowed into the building, even for euthanasia appointments, which is horribly cruel to both the animal and their human companion. But yeah, people who use the Humane Society as their vet clinic, they have five to six vets, um, can't afford to pay retail vet prices. They have no choice. So if they were to complain about not being allowed into the building to be with their companion animal during an exam or during a euthanasia, the executive director says, take your business elsewhere. We don't need you. And so they, they the clients of the vet clinic are at the mercy of the executive director. The money's just going to keep coming in regardless. Okay. So why are they another... You know, another way to explain why they're keeping the animals in the building as opposed to facilitating adoptions is that it's easier to warehouse the animals than it is to facilitate adoptions while the building is closed to adopters. As I said, how do you introduce people to cats if they can't enter the building to meet them? You know, and so the I, when I posed that question to the executive director, she said, well, we're bringing cats to people's homes. And it's not true. There is no way they're put, putting cats in crates. And how stressful would that be for the cats, by the way, and schlepping them around the city to the homes of people who have submitted adoption applications. It's not happening. And so another- they have stats on their number of adoptions over the past couple of years? So Are first they, of all- Is that transparent? Uh, no, they have. it's a private shelter. It's not a city shelter. They have no obligation to share any information with members of the public. In mm -hmm. fact, one of the people who is a regular donor and who is planning to leave $2 million in her will to the Humane Society, when she heard about what was going on, she herself sent letters to all of the board members whose addresses she could find, emails and snail mail, and not one even replied to her. Um, and so they're very secretive. They don't, they're, they don't, they're not required to be transparent at all. I'm not saying they're doing no adoptions. From, from April to October in 2008, during that seven month period, they claim to have facilitated 33 adoptions, which amounts to one a week. Even if that was true, that is an abysmal number for a large shelter in a centrally located neighborhood that takes in millions of dollars a year and has the capacity of 175 animals. They should be sending animals home every day. Some of the animals have been in this shelter since at least 2018 and probably a lot longer in some cases. 
And the way we know that is not only from whistleblowers and from the former adoption director and a for another former employee, but also a major media outlet in New York City did a story last week in which they sent a cameraman into the building and he zoomed in on the intake dates on the adoption cards that are attached to the cages. And the two that the cameraman showed were from an intake date of 2018 and an intake date of 2019. Those were just a handful. And so probably the vast majority of animal of cats, especially in those cages, have been there since before they closed the building to the public. And we know of dogs who have been there for at least five years. Okay, that yeah, that's there's no reason for that. But, okay, so I do want to just <laughs> one little uh, that link to that show is will be in the show notes, people. So for those listening, that link to that uh, news clip will be in the show notes. So let's get to I want to get back to these board members. Some are, you know, it's interesting. They are keeping quiet. That's probably in their better interest to keep quiet and they don't want to rock the boat. Some are being whistleblowers, which is great and helpful. Not, I just want to clarify, not board, board members aren't whistleblowers, employees who have detailed information that they've provided Thank us. You. So that's how we know. Um, Thank you. Okay. I, 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 so when you say that's where, sorry, that's where I wanted to go to. When you say employees, there are, I just want to get this clear where it is a private shelter. It's not government run. But when you say employees, they do have paid employees. And additionally, they have volunteers and then separately board members. Is this correct? Correct, sort of. They did have a robust volunteer program when the building was open to the public. And they and when and that they disbanded that. They dismantled okay. that. But they claim when people call and offer to volunteer and they can actually get through to a live person, which is not easy to do, the executive director or whoever answers the phone will say, we have a full complement of volunteers. Try again next year. But they don't have a full yeah. complement of volunteers. We don't think that they have any. Um, and in all of the times we've been protesting uh, and even just sort of doing reconnaissance, we've never seen a volunteer walking a dog. We have seen a couple of employees walking dogs, but never a volunteer. So they have a staff, right? They have vet techs and veterinarians who work in the vet clinic and an administrator or two. And this is a five-story building or maybe even six stories and like almost wow. like a brownstone. Yeah. So the ground floor is the lobby and the vet clinic. Then on the upper floors, you've got shelter cages and, 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 and the administration for the whole operation. And you've got people who work in the shelter, cleaning cages, presumably walking dogs, you know, cleaning the kennels, that kind of thing. Do they uh, have taking... a private outdoor area exclusively to their building? Good question. Their... So the rooftop is, there is an enclosure on the rooftop where I'm hoping they do bring the dogs out because, I mean, the building closes, right? The end of business day is like four or 5 p.m. depending on the day of the week. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't reopen until I think about 8 a.m. That is a lot of hours for dogs to be kept in cages without being walked, right? Mm -hmm. That's Isn't that 16 hours? Uh, eight, yeah, that's like 16 and hours. And you can also consider that the number of dogs in there, do you know the number of dogs in there? 
they're claiming to now have just 13 dogs, but we take everything we say, they say with a grain of salt because we've encountered so many lies over the past couple of years. Yeah, to know. And, they're, and again, back to the fact that they're not obligated to provide any of that information. Correct. So, you know, um, even so if yes, the health... they would be alone a long time in those uh, because we can assume that the very last dog is not necessarily the very first dog walked. So then walking you know and and if the staff members can they walk multiple maybe they take them to the roof and let them all run around at the same time we don't really know we don't um we don't know what's happening there so now. the point even if those dogs on a minute by minute basis are getting attention and and being um exposed let out to that that rooftop outdoor area it really gets back to the inability to the prevention of adoption, which still the only reason I'm seeing is that it's a pain in the ass to have people come in and, and to go through adoption forms and to adopt out a dog or to foster a dog or a cat, because we all know that there might be a return or there might be, you know, a foster is having challenging that that is across the board with every rescue, whether they're independent or government. Um, but you know what? Suck it up. That's what it is part of that. that that's what people expect that they, they these dogs are getting exposure that, uh, you know, the, the success is proven of adoption days, adoption events, these type of things which are not being held at all. No. And these dogs are not being exposed. And that's even even if we say that on a minute by minute, these dogs are, are getting cared for. They're still living in a cage. These are not, what did Sandra call them? What is she? Apartments. Doing? Apartments. They're not apartments. <laughs> they're, right, they're cages. cages. They're living in cages. Uh, yes, it's, it's essentially death row for the innocent there because there's not really much else that's going to happen to them. So I went to the website and they do have forms that they you're to fill out forms that you're to fill out uh specifically and and they seem to be good as far as you know all your information and all about you and what pet you're interested in etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so you know that when these forms get filled out and sent in there's no response is that correct correct right so they encourage anybody who calls including me when i call they they say fill out an application we will process your application. We will check your references. And if there's a match, we'll get back to you. And so what I had people do is fill out an application, fill out applications in which they said, I'm interested in adopting a cat between four and 12, really to, to make it as easy as possible for the shelter to say, okay, there's somebody here who fits your desires. Mm -hmm. Nobody. And I mean, nobody got a response back. And so when people, some of the people who applied followed up on their applications, the answer is always the same. Your, your application must have gone to our spam folder. And in fact, two city council members, two lawmakers in New York City who sent a letter to the Humane Society a couple of weeks ago uh, didn't get a response to their letter. They were expressing concern about the welfare of the animals and asking for a meeting. And that letter is in the public domain. And they never heard back from okay. the Humane Society. Okay, uh, so and, we, and, there's clearly a problem. There's clearly lack of transparency and there's a problem. So 
where are you, you have some interesting campaign, which we touched on uh, in our other chat, but I'd like to dive into uh, what the campaigns are and where you're going with uh, creating solutions to this bizarre situation. So with any pressure campaign, I've been a grassroots organizer now for, for many years and I run pressure campaigns and they're not okay. fun uh, and they're disruptive and you know we don't make friends while doing it, but right. they're impactful. And so you always start polite. So we send letters to uh, the board. First, you know, first we did the, you know, we applied for the animals and, you know, corroborated yep. the whistleblower uh, allegations. Once we did that, we, I contacted the executive director, had a polite discussion. That's where I found out that cages are apartments. Once I realized we were going to get nowhere with that and that she wasn't going to send the animals to foster homes or shelters that are open, then we sent letters to the board members. And then, you know, and then when they ignored us, although two did not, and I'll touch on that, then we reach out to the local community board. So I hit the, I'll hit the pause button there of all of the board members who we contacted. And when I say we, the person who actually contacted them was the former adoption director of 22 years who retired in early 2020 when she turned 65, but had a very nice relationship over the course of two decades, in some cases, with the board members. Two of them were courteous enough to respond to her and engage her in a, a discussion on the phone. Both said that to allay her concerns and all of our concerns about adoptions and that the adoptions had come to a standstill, they said that they were going to contact the executive director and ask for proof that adoptions were taking place. Within two weeks, both of the board members who had contacted the former adoption director sent her text messages saying, we are no longer affiliated with the Humane Society of New York and ceased communicating. That was it. So they- It isn't really a solution. It's them just burying their head in the sand and, and stepping away while the situation continues. Correct. Their decision to resign did absolutely nothing to help the animals who they left behind. And exactly. one of the board members who lives in Manhattan just two blocks away from the Humane Society, we continued protesting at her apartment, which we had already started doing, by the way, but we continued protesting at her, at her apartment because of that, because her decision to resign did nothing to help the animals. And we wanted her to issue a public statement state, saying that she's resigned from the board and here's why, you know, because animals come, you know, adoption should come to a standstill and so on. Uh, we eventually stopped protesting at her, her apartment and moved directly in front of the Humane Society itself which we were skittish about doing because we didn't want to be disruptive to the animals who were waiting outside for their appointments, but we found a workaround. And so that's where we've been protesting. So, so we, we, we went to the board members, got very little traction there. And then we went to this first board member's house for protesting. Uh, we were there for a couple of months, a local media outlet in the neighborhood did seven stories and videos about the campaign. And we started to meet people. So this board member happened to live two blocks away, as I mentioned, from the Humane Society of New York. And people started to come up to us and say, you know what? I submitted an application during COVID for because we were working from home and whatnot. And I wanted, you know, and I never heard back. And we started to hear that more and more. And they were just confirming what we already knew, which is that they are ignore telling people submit adopt to submit adop adoption applications and then ignoring them. Then we moved our protests to the Humane Society itself. And this is all part of an escalation and a pressure campaign. 
And we've been protesting now for many, many, many months. We've probably done 15, 12, 15 protests at the Humane Society itself, which is, as I said earlier, in a bustling residential neighborhood. And so we have spoken to, at this point, countless people who have stopped some on camera to say that they adopted, they tried to adopt, they never heard back, they followed up, they really wanted to rescue an animal from their local shelter. They 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 finally reached someone, they were turned away, you know, they wouldn't let them in the building. Just one one story after another. What nobody did was come up to us and say, I adopted from this shelter in the past three years. Not one person. And people Interesting, spoke to- isn't it? And that's what I was going to ask you. I is yes, you're got definitely gathering momentum. It's it's phenomenal how that just inherently happens from a grassroots because it just builds and builds, which is phenomenal. I was going to ask whether where your pushback is coming from. Now, someone coming up and saying, hey, actually, I did adopt wouldn't necessarily be a pushback. It would be interesting information to have. And we're and not claiming that they have them and not them. And, you know, it, it just allows. But it never happened. Are you getting pushback? I mean, I'm envisioning this Sandra woman who is sort of like this person behind the 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 curtain or something. I don't know. Like it, she must come and go. Does she not come and go from the shelter or does she? She never comes outside when they're there. Uh, when we are okay. there, she and the, uh, a couple of the senior executives have there are a few in particular who have never come outside. Most of the veterinarians will while we're because we protest at the end of the day when sort of the animals are gone or leaving so so as not to disrupt the animals so when the veterinarians come outside we say stop being complicit you know what's going on the upper floors of this building you know the building has been closed now for three years you know that adoptions have come to a virtual standstill you're the only people in the building who have the power to stand up to the executive director because you're not dispensable like the other employees who can probably be easier replaced more easily in the mind of the executive director and so um but they are uh they've got a good gig there and they make very high salaries for that setting they don't do any of the administrative work right they just do the the patient care veterinary care and they've got they've just so what we've been told by several sources is that they have good gigs there and it's easier for them to turn a blind eye to the cruelty than it is to confront the executive director and potentially you know, have a, right. b- put themselves in an uncomfortable situation. I also want to clarify, Billy, it's not that no adoptions have taken place. They've definitely sent some animals home. They have fr- they have celebrities who they have close ties to. They're very close to the Broadway community because their animal trainer has a private company that leases animals to Broadway shows, commercials, and movies. And mm-hmm. so... Broadway loves this shelter because they get their animals and right Sandy, the dog and Annie, you know, there was a lamb in one of Bernadette Peters productions of, of gypsy. They get the animal trainer from the humane society gets these animals either from the humane society, another shelter or buys them from a breeder or a storefront slaughterhouse. If they need a lamb and brings them to the production and then takes, takes them away. So they have tons of support in the Broadway community, which has been a challenge for us because they like the vets don't want to acknowledge that there's a problem here. Cause as soon as you acknowledge that there's a problem 
And this probably goes for the board members too. As soon as they acknowledge that there's the pro this is a real problem, then they have to do something to address it. And who wants to be bothered with that? Exactly. Yeah, this is uh, a problem that is just so prevalent in animal welfare on so many different levels where it's just a matter of people they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want to compromise or jeopardize their own beneficial sitting pretty situation that they're in. Now, they yesterday, don't care. I, they, don't and care. They, they don't care. And if they do care, they find a way to justify or sleep at night, uh, which right. is just so not like the UNIs of the world. Right. Yesterday, I was speaking with a lawyer who works with veterinarians. A lot of the, the issue, it, lies in insurance too so there it is a very controlled profession there's a lot of rules and regulations and insurance and these type of things uh it would be interesting to talk to 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 see to really have a sit down with one of those veterinarians and ask really what is going on there um now maybe just again, to be the devil's advocate, maybe it's like, well, the dogs are healthy. The cats are healthy. They're all being, the dogs are being walked. The cats are being patted and cared for from a health, from a physical health situation. They're not seeing a reason. And as far as adoptions, that's not really, you know, it's so easy to say that's not in my wheelhouse or not my, not in my job description or not what I do. That's, uh, you know, Sandra's thing or whatever. It's so easy to say it's somebody else's issue because vets but I agree with you where vets have a lot of pull and they have they do have a responsibility because people do look to them to not only ensure the physical health of pets but also the mental and emotional uh, you know again whether the vets can tell them how to run their business possibly not but if they were to step up and say this is unhealthy emotionally and mentally for these animals to be in here for this length of time that that could have an impact yeah it's super stressful for an animal to be held in a cage for extended periods of time and yeah. we know again of animals who have been there for at least five years so yeah. even if they're physically healthy even if their numbers are okay, that doesn't mean that they're healthy mentally they're probably a wreck and the more time they spend in cages, Though I think the harder a time they are going home, you know, because they're so, uh, you know, and the more, the more work that the adopter has to do to, to get them mentally healthy again. Um, Possibly. As a behaviorist, it depends. There's a lot of factors and variables on that, but it's certainly in the public and that the common eye would be, wow, those dogs have been in there so long. I'm going to go to a place where I'm going to go adopt from where the dogs are in a foster home and, and the dogs maybe been in the foster home, that kind of healthy month or two month, three month period. And yeah, I mean, it certainly would be a deterrent to the average person, whether it's, you know, it from a behavioral point of view, it depends on the individual dog, but there's absolutely some dogs in there undoubtedly that are just shutting down. I mean, we've heard stories, we've heard stories from people who have contacted me through my website that, you know, they've seen now the news, you know, it's been on the news now a couple of times and it's all over social media and TikTok. And so people are contacting me and sharing their stories about adopting animals who had been caged there for years on end and how they never were able to uh, restore their mental health. You know, really sad stories. One woman said 
that she, I mean, it can't be done. It means they couldn't do it, but yes. They, could, they couldn't they, do it. It can be done, but yes. That's and, a whole um, other topic. And we're yeah. not, you know, we're not all animal trainers. Some of us just want to yeah. adopt a dog, rescue a dog. And, yeah. you know, um, and one woman yeah. in particular said that she, this is before they closed their doors to the public, long before, right. yeah. found a, saw a cat online, applied for the cat. Um, there was an adoption director at the time. So adoption director made the whole process happen. And then when it came time for the new human companion to pick up the dog, the executive director of the shelter said, actually, you can't have, I'm sorry, it was a cat. You can't have this cat for another month and a half because we're, this cat is going, going to be used in some show. And, uh, oh, no. and so, was... so. So she, the adopter said, I will bring the cat back for this event, but please let me take her now. And the executive director refused and kept this cat in a cage for another six weeks before allowing this cat to go home. I was going to ask about that, actually, when you were talking about using the, it's almost like. I want it, it, it would be interesting to get the stats on how many of those animals are used for these uh, shows and events and, and uh, Broadway and this type of thing, because it seems as though that would be one reason that would stick out in my mind as to why, so that why they're not ad adopting out because they want to have some sort of resource pool when Broadway comes knocking on their door. Um, well, but Billy, that could be the resource pool. It could be the next animals who come in, you know, even yeah. if they were, even if they yeah. were facilitating adoptions yes. all the time, as yeah. they should, emptying those cages and bringing in new, new uh, animals from the city shelter yeah. or new surrenders, even if they were doing that, there would still be a pool of animals from yeah. whom to choose. You know, one thing that we haven't touched on, and this is really exactly. sinister, and I've heard this from now several sources, is that because they run a vet clinic, they and offer discounted vet care. There's there's a, a a breeder, a backyard breeder in Brooklyn, who gets free vet care from the Humane Society for her breeder dogs, and in exchange gives the Humane Society these boutique dogs, who the Humane Society then passes off as rescues and charges a premium for. So at any given time, I've been told, and I don't know if this is, you know, for a fact, but I've been told by a couple of sources that at any given time, at least 50% of the dogs in the shelter are from a breeder. Um, and then you've got celebrities who then get these breeder dogs who they think they're rescuing um, who, and who have been surrendered. And they're like, and so I remember Kelly Ripa, do you know Kelly Ripa? Yeah. Yes. Kelly Ripa has had that, has that morning uh, talk yes. show. And she was on TV with Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters was a guest on her show. And yeah. Kelly Ripa held up her dog, who she got at the Humane Society, this adorable little breeder dog, and said to Bernadette Peters during a segment about animal adoption, Kelly Ripa said, who would give up this dog? And Bernadette Peters said, I know. Who would give up that dog? And the answer is, nobody, nobody. gave up that dog. That dog yeah. came directly from a breeder. And all of these celebrities know it because we've contacted them a 10 different ways and none of them want to acknowledge it because Kelly Rip is happy with her little breeder dog. Bernadette Peters is happy getting dogs and other animals from this guy who works at the Humane Society for their shows. And so they're all just complicit. And so it's up to yes. animal rights activists who don't have an ulterior motive 
who are just interested in the welfare of the animals to fight this fight. And it's an uphill battle because of all of these people who they have in their pocket. Yes, it is an uphill battle, but it's a it's a good one. And it sounds like you're continuing to climb it. So yes, I that is actually where I was going with this cat situation is they should be strong enough to stand up and say, that cat that we originally discussed as being part of your show has now been adopted or even prior to that happening, they should be saying there is a chance that this animal that you've chosen for your show will be adopted prior, in which case we either work with the adopter for them to bring back or, or you know, provide the, the animal back for that showtime period, or you get to, to choose a different one. Um, and that should just be part of it. It's, it sounds like they're trying to get their hands in all these different pots. So they're continuing with their donations and their funding and their, their what's considered, you know, as a shelter and community, as well as pleasing the celebrities. And they're, they're just sort of have their hands in every single pot. Mm -hmm. Uh, which really boils down to money and reputation, doesn't it? Which yeah. It, it you know really what, does. Billy? There's one at this, in this particular instance, you've got one executive director who calls all the shots at this organization yeah. and has no supervision. If she thinks that's that always the a problem, if she thinks that the animals are fine in their little apartments, then the animals are screwed because yeah. there's no, because the, the, the people who could push back the vets don't want to rock the boat, the board members. So the board members who were sort of active and engaged have quit. And you're left with mostly elderly people who probably don't even know what's going on. In fact, the chair, the president of the board who used to work there four days a week moved out of, she's 88 years old. She moved out of New York City in early 2020 and has not been heard from since. She, she, uh, hasn't responded to texts and phone calls and emails from people who she knows who have contacted her to express concern about the animals in the shelter. And now her phone is disconnected. So the, the, you know, the one board member who we knew was really active and present is gone. And so, so it's like it a, a perfect storm. To, it is, it is the perfect storm. And this, Sandra woman seems to be riding the wave. Absolutely. So is there a way of disputing the, I guess the, are they registered as, they're registered as a 501c3, is that correct? Correct. Um, uh, I should clarify, I'm Canadian. So things are very similar. When, when you're talking about just animals and people and welfare and stuff, there's not a lot of difference when you get down to politics somewhat so. So I just wanted to, I and, and this show is aired worldwide. So 501c3 is a nonprofit, if you just want to explain that. And then, so they are registers as a 501c3 and they are not under a government umbrella. So they're not, they don't, receive funding directly from the government is that correct correct private private charity no city funding or state funding okay so i could tell you about the 501c3 issue um so uh the attorney general the state attorney general has oversight over charities and i can't go into details publicly but we have engaged with the attorney general the attorney general's office is aware of what's going on i will say that 
relative to other investigations and issues that the state attorney general faces, this is small potatoes. So they have to, they make decisions, you know, politically and sort of, and they have to consider the scope. I mean, there are lots of reasons why the attorney general does or doesn't decide to take on something specific. This, if we're being honest with ourselves, doesn't rise to the level of something that the attorney general's taken on, but they have not, they haven't stopped communicating with us. There are other, so we we have, we, we've left no stone unturned. We've, we've interacted with city council members who have sent a letter now to the Humane Society expressing their concern about the welfare and asking for a meeting, of, first of which took place already. Uh, the community board we've interacted with and they tried to be helpful, but only could, could only go so far. Uh, the attorney general, which I just mentioned, um, uh, the media is another um, you know, source yeah. of potential support for us. Uh, and the Department of Health. So we have liaised, we believe we've left no stone unturned. We've gone to all of these different agencies, wow. regulators, enforcement agencies. And it's the challenge we face is that it's a bit of a he said, a he said, she said. The executive director is saying, we've been doing adoptions all along. Nothing to see here. And until these regulators are willing to roll up their sleeves and do the research for themselves and see and 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 validate or see what we already know, there's really not, you know, there's just no appetite to pursue this. Right. But we have because we did get the people there are considered good people, like Sandra, and they're they're oh, they couldn't be abusing an animal. And and technically, I guess on a minute by minute they're not being horrible, but, but no, their but... actions overall are. And as a 501c3, they're, are they not required to address your concern? I guess essentially they somewhat are addressing your concerns. Just we're, as you said, you take a lot of what they say with a grain of salt. They're not required to provide anybody as a 501c3 with any- um, The IRS. The IRS. So okay. on their 990 tax forms, they state, you know, we have between 125 and 175 animals in the shelter, but like very general, it's not specific. And for our campaign, the information provided in their tax forms isn't terribly helpful, except for they list big donors. Most of the most of the donors are estates and uh, people leave chunks of their estate to this shelter. Uh, which enable, you know, which is empowering to the uh, to the executive director. I will tell you, I think the most helpful thing we've had in, since this campaign has started is TikTok videos of the protests that have gone viral. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. videos yeah. that we've posted on TikTok that have gone viral on TikTok. Yeah, they Some are of good. The, the videos have, uh, one of the videos has over 700,000 views. Some of the, you know, others have hundreds of thousands of views. So we're probably talking all in a, you know, 1.5 or 2 million views on these videos and people have taken action because in those videos, we include links for ways people can take action uh, on behalf of the animals. And that has all been disruptive. And that's part of what we do when we're running a pressure campaign. You know, I also I wanted to get to that. Sorry, go ahead. You know, I also I wanted to talk about, you know, what information they're providing, because as we discussed, they don't have to be transparent. But they have responded in their own ways to the allegations. And I'll give you an example. Um, they 
claim that they, several months ago, they posted a photo on the homepage of their website with scaffolding in the front of their building. I and saw that. Said that we are, you know, we've begun lobby renovations to make the building ADA compliant. The scaffolding in front of the building has absolutely nothing to do with the lobby renovation. That scaffolding was put up to to uh, fix loose bricks in the facade, which is something that all buildings in New York City have to do. Totally unrelated to the lobby, there is no scaffolding needed at all for the lobby. But it's but how many people who visit the homepage would say, wait a minute, that scaffolding has nothing to do with the lobby renovation that would enable you to reopen because you've made the lobby ADA compliant? You know, who's going to be? So the lies, it's also sinister and duplicitous. But we know because we're paying attention, we pick up on these lies. I thought um, that too. Just... It sort of sounded like it was these sort of excuses and, and, you know, well, there's construction and there's COVID and there's everybody, the goal is to find solutions to work around those. Yes, there's always something to come up with to, to if you want to come up with something. But yeah, I did research those pictures and looking and thinking, well, I mean, the vets are getting in there and there's people get, I, it, it didn't seem anything more than any large city deals with construction and road maintenance and everything all the time. Well, did I tell you this part? Because this is such an important angle in this whole story. So I can't remember if I mentioned this. So the building until until like two weeks ago, their website stated that the building was closed to the public, quote, due to COVID-19 to protect our staff and our vet, as if all of these people aren't in the subways and buses and in stores like everybody else. And as if they haven't already all had COVID, just like all the rest of us. In any case, they were using that ex as an excuse, but mm -hmm. that wasn't why the building was closed to the public. The building was closed to the public because they had already been sued once before because they're not wheelchair accessible under ADA guidelines and they set and Americans with Disabilities Act. And they yes. settled that lawsuit but just because they settled that lawsuit doesn't mean that they then don't have to do the work to make the building ADA compliant. They still have to make the building ADA compliant. The executive director was just going to keep the building closed to the public indefinitely due to COVID. And when that was no longer an excuse that they could make, they were going to just have another excuse. Like we've changed the way we're doing business and now we're going to keep pay, you know vet clinic clients outside and no longer come into the building for what so but they had they hung their hat on covid for 3 full years until they realized we have got to take that down from the website so, so do um, you think that closing the building allowed them to not have to go through with the expensive renovations to comply with ADA exactly You're, okay, you hit the nail on the head okay. and the that's an interesting reason <clears throat> The executive director's plan, look, when it first closed due to COVID, that was, we all, everything closed due to COVID. That was understandable, right. but everyone eventually reopened and they didn't. And they continued to use COVID as an excuse. And then in speaking to lawyers, um, I learned that, yeah, if they reopen, then they subject themselves to another ADA right. lawsuit. They have to make the building compliant because it's a place of public, if it's a place of public accommodation. So you know what? But this just seems to be, to me, this seems to be the real reason. Like, I feel like now we're hitting exactly. the real, I can see, because that's got to be pricey. So it's money's not the issue. They were happy to keep people out of the building. The vets preferred, look, it's a low cost vet clinic. It's chaotic. 
There's no question that the waiting room is chaotic and the vets and the administrative staff were probably thrilled, what we heard, to keep people outside on the street and not in the building. And so, and then the vets could just call the clients on their phones and say, here's what happened and here are the next steps, or even come outside and meet them outside. But keeping people out of the building was something that from what I understand, what everybody in the building was happy, all the employees and staff were happy to keep people outside of the building. And they were just going to keep doing that. In fact, the vet, the executive director stated as much to her staff, and that got back to us, we're just going to keep the building closed to the public indefinitely. But because we came along as activists and said, wait a minute, it doesn't matter why you're closed, whether it's COVID or because you're not ADA compliant, you can't have a, an adoption center that's indefinitely closed to adopters. You either need to reopen or you need to send those places to to send those animals to places that are open. There you go. Or have, uh, I mean, there's so many solutions to this. I mean, they could have an adopt, they could rent a different space that is ADA compliant and matches everything in dog friendly and et cetera, cat friendly. And a mobile van. Yes. Hold adoption events once a week or whatever they choose to do in different areas so people and then they post those all over social media and people go so there's it can still be closed to the public but if somebody fills out an application form and seems like a very good adopter for a particular dog they can say we will bring this dog to this event does this work for you or if it doesn't set up a time specifically with that person to meet and that just all that stuff wasn't there's so many things. things Billy, yeah. there were things that they could do, but at the end of the day, why be bothered if the animals there are home go. in their apartments and if the shelter is their foster home and they're fine where they are? Why bother? Yeah. Why bother doing the work? Yeah. So you, have, in the meantime, you have all these animals at the yeah. an, animal care center or city shelter who are killed. You know, there's an, a daily kill list who they could be taking these animals in, filling the cages, getting them out if they... But the money keeps coming in and they just don't have to. And then we can. And that's a really good point that I think people need to realize, too, is every time a a shelter says, oh, we're we're not killing dogs or we're not. If the cycle isn't happening, there's dogs out there that are not coming in. So are they directly responsible for killing those dogs? No, but they are not part of the solution that they're positioning themselves as and promoting themselves as if dogs are not coming in and going out or even proactively preventing surrender and uh, intake by providing other solutions or, or finding another place for the dog to go or finding solutions for that dog to stay in the home or the cat to stay in the home. If they're not actively providing these solutions and they're just stagnant they are essentially killing animals every day even if Absolutely. they're not the hands doing it they they take so much pride in being a no-kill shelter in the meantime anytime i've ever saw an animal online that needs a shelter you know to, needs a place to be surrendered and i've called them and said listen i i see this animal online you know, I'm happy to go get this animal in the Bronx and bring that animal to the shelter. The answer has always been no. So that animal invariably, yeah. invariably, even if they have cage, so that animal invariably ends up at the city pound where he or she may or may not be killed. So yeah, I, I know what you're exactly. saying, that they're not directly killing them, 
But in effect, they are. They're not a, mm -hmm. they can't call themselves a no-kill shelter, regardless of how you feel about the whole no-kill, and that's a whole other issue. But that's they can't call them they can't call themselves a themselves a no-kill shelter if they're turning away all of these dogs and cats who they have the capacity to take in. And and if they're not turning over the cages and if, mm -hmm. and if adopt, you know, to, to mm -hmm. create more space for new animals. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have definitely provided us with a mound of information. It is so mind boggling. Well, refreshing to hear what, what your organization is doing their turn and the amount of time and effort to make all these contacts, social media, campaigns, direct hands-on, research, get people to be involved. There's a lot going on there. You're doing a ton and it's making an impact. It, it is, especially I, the one thing I really hear is when media starts going there, you, you know, you're making an impact. Yeah. So yeah. where are you going from here with it? And maybe give a, uh, definitely people go to TikTok. Yeah, at their Correct. turn. That's the that's my handle. At their turn on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Right. T h e i r t u r n. As it's in their turn for you know for finally it's their turn, the animals' turn. Um, and so you know the objective they're claiming now they claim to the media outlet that did this sort of story a couple of days ago that they have twenty seven cats and thirteen dogs in the shelter, and. Our ask, our objective is to get them to send the remaining animals to foster homes where they won't have to live in a cage, where they can be seen by adopters, and where they won't have to live through a loud and messy renovation. So that's our objective. So we've got the strategies, our dis strategies of disruption. You know, we're beyond the point of being polite. And then what are, you know, and then the tactics that, you know, in support of those strategies, the protests, the, that sort of thing. Tonight, I'm having a meeting with um, uh, uh, probably 15 or 20 of the activists who have been part of this campaign to talk about the state of the campaign, to share with them some of the things that have been, have been happening behind the scenes, because protest is just one small part of an overall campaign. You have an objective, you have strategies yes. and tactics. The protests are just one tactic. And yes. so to bring all of the activists up to speed, a lot has happened. Now the council's involved, the city council, the media is involved. There's a spotlight on the Humane Society. They're about to embark on this renovation. Things are happening. I'm bringing all the activists together to talk about next steps, to engage them, to see what their thoughts are. And we continue. We continue to protest. We continue to escalate. Um, and we continue so, to know what we continue to do what they know, what we know they don't want us to do. Perfect. Okay. So now we've opened, well, now we're just, this is my wheelhouse when you're talking about fosters, getting dogs into foster, getting dogs into homes and cats, cats as well, of course. Um, so now you've opened up a hole. I do want to ask you, when you say to them, we got to get these dogs out of there and into foster homes, that's for the, uh, it solves a, a numerous problems. One of, one of them being the emotional state uh, of the dogs and cats is a lot healthier in a home. And also uh, people are more likely to adopt and it gets them out there and in the public, et cetera. And then we get an adoption happening. So that's all good. These foster homes, which really 
truthfully is is we're not asking a lot here uh there's some there's rescues organizations independent rescue organizations that i've worked with dozens and dozens that have literally hundreds of fosters under their umbrella i mean this isn't so let's break this down are are you reaching out to other organizations saying can you take these dogs or i from what it sounds like there's no fosters currently affiliated with they have an anti-foster policy. They told yeah. a couple. So, a couple where, days, what fosters are you? Are you trying to generate new fosters specifically for these dogs, or are you reaching out to other rescues, asking them to foster these dogs? And if so, will Humane Society give those dogs over and cats over? So the Humane Society has made it clear as recently as last week that they have a strict no foster policy. Because, and they've said, they've said to me on the phone, why would we send them to a foster home? This is their foster home. So this is what we're up against. Yeah, so all yeah. of the other big shelters in New York are aware of this and could probably absorb, if each of them took a few, could yeah. probably absorb. And those shelters are open and people can, you know, make an appointment and come in and, and meet the animals. But there's no will at the Humane Society to do that. And that's where we as animal rights activists have to escalate. We have to make it in their best interests to do the right thing by these animals. But yeah, look, it's we're talking about well, what they're saying. And keep in mind, we have to take everything with a grain of salt that they have 40 animals now, 27 cats and 13 dogs. Well, we're, they could post on their social media platforms. These are the animals who we would like to place in foster homes. Yeah, um, they absolutely could. That would be yeah. all of these celebrities who who yeah. uh, collaborate with them from Broadway, from Broadway yeah. community, they could make this happen. They're choosing not to um, because, you know, uh, why yeah. should they? The animals are fine right where they are. Yeah, they have so much ability with those connections and the finances and and exactly what you said. As soon as you get a few celebrities posting something or hopping on board, magic happens. It, it can just, yes, it's work. Absolutely. It's work. It's effort. Everything's not going to go smoothly as planned, but that's what it's all about. It's better than the alternative, which is just yes. leaving them where they are. Exactly. Beautiful. Okay. This has been just a mound of information. And I know the listeners are really appreciative of everything that you're doing and they will become involved as they can do with it, whether it's social media or just keeping and following and being part of what you're doing. And thank you so much, Donnie. That was awesome. Thank you for the platform. I so appreciate it. Take care. We'll talk again soon. Great. Bye-bye.